Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue in our series, 29, the book of Acts. So, so if you're new here, first time, one of the first few times, we're in a series that we've titled 29. And 29 is, we're going through the book of Acts. There's 28 books, if you will, chapters canonized there. And uh, 29 really is the mindset that the Holy Spirit is wanting to write a new story in and through you that has never been written before. So as we look at the book of Acts, what we're seeing there is the action of the Holy Spirit through these first century followers of Jesus, and it's what God is doing in the early church. Now, last week, as we have gone over the last two weeks through Acts 10 and Acts 11, last week we talked about how the gospel of Jesus unites all men. And the heartbeat of the gospel is to bring a racially culturally group of people together because of our common faith in Jesus Christ, breaking down walls and barriers. And, and, I, and I pose the question, are you standing in God's way of God doing his work the way he wants to? And so I pray that, that we would allow the Holy Spirit to, to, to really melt our hearts and that nothing would hinder us in being his servants. Acts chapter 12, that's where we're going to be today. And if you read the first part of Acts 12, it kind of reads like headlines in the news. When you read it, you're like, this, this is crazy. And I was thinking about that, like even if you pulled up the news today, I pulled up WSB, uh, the app, and just started looking at headlines in the news. And some of the stuff I was reading, I'm like, it's crazy. And, and, and if you're like me, you're like, I don't want to listen to the news. I don't want to watch the news. I want to read the news. The news drives me crazy. The people that are presenting the news drives me crazy. I don't know what to believe. I'm trying to, but I was looking at it. A vigil has been planned for a former high school football coach. He was killed while putting air in his tire at a local quick trip. This is a young man right here. Here's another one. Man holding hatchet, shot and killed in SWAT standoff after dousing his hostage with gasoline. Two adults dead, three kids hurt after crash with semi-truck. Amber Alert issued for a 15-year-old Lilburn girl. She has been found safe. Alabama confirms the first case of monkeypox. Shooting at a South Fulton school leaves one person injured. 19 people arrested during undercover sex trafficking sting in Troop County. You ever read this stuff and just go, what is going on? I mean, we live in a fallen world where sin has disrupted humanity at every level, but a lot of times we read this stuff and we're like, man, people are lost. And I read that and I'm like, this is sad. It's insane, it's corrupt, it's twisted. We read of killings and robberies and it screams, do you not see that there's so much unrest in the world in which we live? You pick up Acts chapter 12 and it begins with the latest news. Hey, I don't know if y'all heard or not, but Herod had James uh, put to death with the sword. So, so, some people are saying that they decapitated him like John the Baptist. Yeah, 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 James, that dude James that was in the inner circle with Jesus, one of the sons of thunder, Peter, James, and John, James. 
Oh, oh, by the way, Herod had Peter arrested. He's incarcerated. He's on lockdown right now. All kinds of soldiers around there trying to keep this dude uh, locked up. A rumor has it that as soon as this Passover feast is over, they're, they're going to kill him. Oh, 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 by the way, Herod, his approval rating is soaring through the roof. Uh, According to who you talk to, the latest post in the Jerusalem News said that people are applauding this dude like he's a legit leader. Headline news. I don't know what you got going on tonight, but we're all going to get together, this Jesus group, for a prayer meeting over at Mary's house. John Mark's mom, not Jesus and his mom, but, but we're going to get together for prayer tonight. If, if, if you're not busy, please join us. That's how this chapter starts. Verses 1 through 5, at that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he arrested Peter this was during the Passover celebration. He imprisoned Peter, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers. And Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed fervently for him. You, you read scripture and you're like, this is crazy. There, there, there are times when it appears that evil is winning. When, when you read the first part of this, it almost gives the appearance that evil is winning. Men who are vile and wicked and mentally sick are getting away with murder and somehow their popularity rises. We're seeing corruption and all kinds of ruins. And then we sat there and we go, but, but, but those who are desiring to live godly lives and those that are desiring to live righteous lives and those that appear to be like wanting to honor God, they're suffering. They're being shamed. They're being ridiculed. And life doesn't make any sense. And it almost appears like God's taking a nap or he's taking a sabbatical or he's on vacation. And and if you're like me, like reading stuff like this, and I stop and I'm like, where is God in the midst of all this? Why would God allow this kind of stuff to take place? How, how is God going to redeem this mess for his glory? And if you start to ask those kind of questions, I can promise you, you're in great company. Not only great company with the person sitting beside you today or in front of you today, but you're in great company with some of the, the rock star heroes of the Old Testament. Jeremiah cried out to the Lord and he says, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do those who are unrighteous live at ease? I mean, Jeremiah is weeping over the people of Israel. He's been called the weeping prophet. He writes the book of Lamentations where it's just one cry fest and sorrow going, God, please hear me. Is anybody going to repent and do right? And I see all this wickedness around me. If anybody was acquainted with grief and sorrow and tragedy and pain, it was Job. And Job posed the question, why do the wicked grow old 
and increase in power. I mean, did Billy Joel get it right when he sang only the good die young? Job's struggle, even the psalmist when he saw the prosperity of the wicked was left wondering if living righteous was really worth the trouble. Have you ever been there when you look around you and you see the injustice and you see so much pain and just go, what's up? And I I just want you to know that it is natural and normal to struggle with why does God allow so much chaos? Why does he allow my kids to come off the rails? Why does he allow this loved one of mine to die? And Peter, James, and John... These dudes had been with Jesus for three years. Come follow me. They're they're committed to Jesus. They're committed to share the gospel. They're committed to go all in with Christ. We're in. And now James is, bam, dead. And you read here in Acts where it's like, he only gets one short sentence. You mean to tell me a guy that had pledged three years of his life to you, three years of his life, like serving you, walking with you, a guy that says, I'm all in, I'll take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, wherever you want me to go. He's only given one sentence. Herod had the apostle James killed with a sword. That's, that's, that's all the obituary he gets? I mean, at least Stephen, the first martyr, got a full chapter and James is getting just he was killed. Well, why does a holy God allow his people to suffer? That's a question we struggle with. Why are we so tempted to envy the wicked when they have success? And we can get there, Josh. And you read this chapter in Acts 12 starts with James is dead, Peter's in prison, Herod's popularity and approval rating is going through the roof. You go... And then we finish the chapter with Peter being released, Herod being struck with this awful disease and dying, and the gospel going forth. I like Paul Harvey, and now you know the rest of the story. And here's the fundamental premise. The gospel will not, and the gospel cannot be stopped. God is omnipotent, omnipotent all-encompassing, potent. He's all-powerful. And God is going to have the last voice. And if you oppose God, no matter who you are, you will lose. Herod attacks the believers during the week of Passover. They're there celebrating the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God. God has delivered our people. They're looking back at what God did in the exile, if you will, with Moses and entering the promised land. Ah, God is faithful and God is good, even in the midst of pain and suffering and turmoil. And they're remembering that probably about 12 years ago, that their Lord, their master and savior, Jesus was crucified during Passover and would be raised from the dead. And Herod attacks these believers with this brutal treatment at a pinnacle time of worship and celebration for the Jewish people. But these Jewish believers are like, we're locked into Jesus. And Herod's not just attacking the believer and follower of Christ, he's really attacking their God. 
He's attacking their God. And when you feel attacked at times and people come at you, I want you to consider that maybe they're not attacking you. They're attacking the God that you walk with, the God that you believe in, the God that has given you truth and principle to live by. Maybe when they're attacking you, they're really trying to attack your God. And please hear me. When someone's religion allows them to kill and murder a righteous man or an innocent baby, and they rejoice over that, that religion is twisted and sick and vile. Whether you're killing a missionary or killing an unborn life, it is sin. And we live in a culture right now where it appears that people applaud so many vile things, but it doesn't mean that popular approval equals righteousness. When you read Acts chapter 12, this Herod that we're talking about here was the grandson of Herod, the great Herod, the great, if you remember, he was in power when Jesus was born. He was having all the infants in Jerusalem murdered. That, 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 that's who he comes from, if you will. And this dude, Herod, had come from a bloodline of bloodthirsty hate and wickedness and vileness. And when you start to read his life, he was your t- typical politician. When he was in Rome, he hung with the Romans and did what the Romans did. But when he was in Palestine, he knew how to wine and dine the Jews to get their approval as well. You ever watch the political landscape and wonder who's really telling the truth? You ever watch it and just wonder, really, who's legit? And here was the problem. A fundamental problem he had was he thought these Jewish Christians were going to disturb and disrupt the power and control that he had worked so hard to establish. They're going to disrupt my power. I'm going to get exposed in this. So he begins harassing, arresting, and killing these Christians and the Jewish non-believers that didn't believe that Jesus was Messiah and Lord. Take them all out. Let's get rid of that madness. Here's a fundamental observation I made as I was studying. Allegiance to Jesus Christ is competition to those in power. True allegiance to Jesus Christ as Lord and Master and Savior is competition to those in power because authentic Christianity will always challenge culture. It's going to challenge it, Chad. When you look at Kim Jong-un in North Korea, he rules based on the premise of having absolute power. No one is above him. No one can question him. Everyone must bow to him. He rules on the premise that I have absolute power. And for any ruler who thrives on absolute power, the idea of people having allegiance to someone with greater influence than them is absolutely terrifying. And when you study the gospel, Jesus reveals how small everybody else is in comparison to God. When you come to Christ, he he will reveal to you how small you are 
in comparison to God. Now here's my dilemma, Mama Kay. Here's, here's my dilemma. It might be your dilemma. Maybe you've struggled through and wrestled through this. God could have prevented Herod from doing this, but he didn't. God, you're all powerful and you're sovereign. You could have stopped that. You could have stopped Dahmer. You could have stopped Hitler. You could have stopped Stalin. You, you, but he didn't. And it's a dilemma. It's a struggle. Even Psalm chapter 2, 1 through 4, the, the psalmist declares, why are the nations so angry with feudal plans? The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. They come together and say, let us break their chains and free ourselves from this slavery to God. We're back to Babel, back to whatever. We can do whatever we want to do, ever how we want to do it. We, we need to free ourselves from God. But the one who rules in heaven scoffs at them. The one who has the final word, the one who has the ultimate word. And so when we start to look at rulers and leaders that are angry and rebelling against God, and if we're not careful, we think this is the first time in human history it's ever happened. 700 years before Jesus was ever born, the psalmist would pin here in Psalms chapter 2. Look at it. These rulers and these leaders, they're plotting together. They're anti-God. They're trying to eliminate the voice of God. They don't want to honor God. They're rejecting God. They're ignoring God. Look at it. And we find ourselves facing that even in our culture. God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. And here's what I would write down if I was you. Don't miss it. God is all-powerful, but he allows his people to suffer tragedy. He allows his people to suffer tragedy. The scripture says it rains on those who are righteous and unrighteous. It rains on those who are just and unjust it, it, it rains on everyone and oftentimes when we see that which we think to be a godly righteous saint person suffering we go that's not fair that's not right if i was god i wouldn't do it that way and following jesus does not mean the elimination of suffering and some people have written this out following Jesus equals the elimination of suffering. That's not true. When you come to Christ, it's not like you're immune from pain, suffering, or whatever. Those that teach that it is always God's will to deliver you from sickness and tragedy and pain are false teachers. We live in a culture today where there's this word of faith, blab it, grab it, name it, claim it, whatever you want to call it. And there's these people out there that believe and teach that deliverance from any problem is available if you claim it by faith. They will quote Isaiah 53, by his stripes we are healed. They believe, they believe ultimately that God must obey us when we step out in faith. Which means we get to tell God how to be God. The problem with this is if you're not healed, if you're not delivered, if you're not rescued, the problem is your lack of faith. 
So it puts you in the position of being sovereign instead of God. And every one of these people that teach that theology suffer from sickness, disease, and eventually die. Now, should we live by faith? Yes. Should I, by faith, take God at his word with anything he said? Absolutely. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But the rub and the problem for so many that have bought into this false heresy teaching is they're trying to tell God how to be God. And they haven't got to a place where they say, your will be done, which implies my will be gone. They're telling God, my will is the sovereign will, so you better meet my will the way I want to because I'm claiming it in Jesus' name. And that's where that phraseology, you name it, you claim it. And I can tell you, God does not love us less when he allows us to suffer and experience tragedy. And some people would conclude that when there's tragedy, suffering, and pain, God just don't love you as much. I can promise you he loved James as much as he loved Peter, but he allowed James to die, and he spared Peter. And if you study Scripture, and if you land here in Acts chapter 12, as you read through that, and don't miss it, God offers no explanation on why. He offers no explanation. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus made this statement about a guy by the name of John the Baptist. Okay? Not in Matthew 11, but he makes a statement earlier. He goes, of all of those who have been born of woman... There is nobody greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist is incarcerated. Herod has him locked up. John the Baptist had told Herod, called him out, the dude, hooking up with your brother Philip's wife, that's not, that's not right. They lock him up. They're going to decapitate him. John in prison, Matthew 11, verse 1 says, when John in prison heard of all the works that Jesus was doing, he sent word by his disciples to say, hey, y'all go ask Jesus if he's really the anointed one, the Messiah, the expected one, or should we look for somebody else? You know, I'm over here locked up. I was the forerunner. I was telling people, make straight the way of the Lord. Is go ask him if he's really the one. They go to him. And Jesus says, go back and tell John that the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the lame are leaping. Tell him that the, the dead are even being raised. Tell him that the gospel is being extended even to Gentiles and Samaritans. And verse 6, if you ever highlight a verse, I would encourage you to highlight, know, and embrace Matthew eleven six. Hey, tell him all this stuff has happened, verse 6. And tell him blessed is the man who's not offended with the way I run my business. Tell John, don't gripe at how I'm God and I run my business. He offers no explanation. And I think a lot of times when we go through pain and tragedy and suffering, we're looking 
for an explanation. One of the traps that we can fall into that will hinder us and paralyze us is when we start to compare our suffering with our neighbor. When you start to do that, I promise you, you're opening, you're opening Pandora's box. And you're going to open yourself up, man, to spiral. When we study even James being put to death with a sword, we conclude that God is all-powerful, but he does not prevent death, difficulty, and disease from even some of his most choice saints. And when you read this, you conclude that the death of James did not hinder the gospel. If anything, it exploded back to the premise, the gospel will not be stopped. Now, the second point and observation I would make would be this. And you're going to say, well, that's almost a contradiction of what you said. It's not. Even when you read here in Acts 12. God is all-powerful, but he does not always prevent tragedy, difficulty, and suffering from his saints. Verses 7 through 9, God is all-powerful, and he can deliver us if it be his will. It's not a contradiction. Suddenly, verse 7, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. Then the angel said, get dressed and put on your sandals. Now, put on your coat and follow me. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He was just dreaming. He didn't even realize it was actually happening. Herod had heard about how Peter and John had escaped custody a few years prior to this. He's like, that ain't happening under my watch. So when he locks him up, he's got two soldiers chained to Peter's right arm. He's got two soldiers chained to Peter's left arm. He's got two soldiers standing guard at the door to the jail cell. And he's got two more guards standing outside by the gate. And an angel of the Lord just slides on in. The radiance from heaven just, just penetrates the jail cell. The guards don't even wake up. Chains are falling off. Peter is just knocked out sleeping himself. Angel is like jabbing him. Dude, get up. Let's go. Get up. And the point is this. God is all powerful and can deliver us from impossible situations if it be his will. When you read this, even as they walked out of the prison, Peter thought he was having a dream. Peter didn't know it was really happening. He didn't realize it was happening until the angel left him hanging out in the street by himself saying, I'm checking out, dude, but you're really awake. Let's go. And this deliverance was a piece of cake for God. Because what is humanly impossible with God, all things are possible. Do you believe God can raise the dead, heal the sick? Yes. And, and, and as I think through this, here's what I believe. I believe that God is most glorified in us when we reach a place of realizing that we're helpless and we're dependent on him. I'm helpless. I can't do anything about this. When you reach a place where you're going, I'm helpless and I got to be dependent on the Lord. I, I don't have anything else to bring to the dance. Then you become a candidate for God being able to do something in your life. 
you read through this and you're like, if Peter would have masterminded his own escape and show up, he would have been the hero and people would have been applauding him like, dude, you got like Houdini skills. We're going to put you on America's Got Talent. You would like win it. Peter's not thinking about escaping. Peter's sleeping. And the point is this. Peter did nothing. Peter did nothing that he could boast about. Here was Peter's testimony. Even when Rhoda meets him and is like, oh, this is Peter. And, 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 and he, he, he talks to the people. Here was Peter's testimony. The Lord set me free. Peter, how did that happen? The Lord set me free. What's your testimony, Tim? The Lord set me free. What's your testimony, Jacob? The Lord set me free. Oh, what did you do? You had to bring something. No, 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 no. The Lord set me free. He did? Yes. Because just like Peter, dude, I was sleeping in darkness. I was dead in my sin. I was not able to understand the gospel. And, 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 and my sin had me all chained up. I was stuck. I was lost. And while I was desperate and helpless, God shined his light into my dark heart. He woke me up out of my spiritual blindness. He broke the chains that had me in captivity to sin and death. The Lord set me free. That's my testimony. Heather, that's the only testimony we have. How'd you break through that one? Man. Met this dude, started working 12 steps. No, how did it happen, brother? The Lord set me free. The Lord set you free. The Lord set me free. And if you've got a testimony... We can sit around and we go, man, your story matters. Share with me your story. You want the condensed version or the long one? Um, the condensed one. The Lord set me free. Our salvation is totally dependent on the Lord. He gets all the glory. Praise be to the Lord. We can take no credit. It's crazy. I can set you free if I want to. Now, here, here's another interesting observation. And I, I do pray that you're diving in and studying and pondering as we go through this. But in verse 5, it says, Peter was in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. P Peter's locked up, Herod, on the eve before probably he's thinking, I'm, I'm getting rid of this dude too. The church gathered for an all-night prayer meeting, and it says they prayed fervently. Dean, the word fervently is an athletic term, athletic metaphor that pictures an athlete straining and agonizing every muscle in his body as he runs the race. He's running a 13-1. He's running a, a full marathon. 
fervently. It's the same word used in Luke uh, chapter 22 where it says when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, he was praying fervently. He was agonizing every muscle, cell, tissue, tendon, engaged. They were praying that way. Do you know that God will oftentimes allow crisis in our lives to drive us to a place of being fervent? You know, when things are just kind of rocking along and everything's going your way, oftentimes you don't pray fervently. But John Mark, when we hit those major potholes and the front end of our life is all out of alignment and God is getting our attention and drives us to our knees is when we start to press in. And we start to pray then in the midst of a crisis like we should be praying all the time. Because the enemy is prowling around like a lion looking for someone to devour. And oftentimes we're oblivious and ignorant to the spiritual warfare around us. And we're just cruising. But all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. And it just, okay. You have reminded me that I need to be dependent on you that's how much he loves us when you're going through a difficulty or heartache a lot of times just like why is this happening to me and he's like man I love you but you're not desperate you're not dependent you're not seeking me and God will oftentimes allow a crisis to happen and the crazy thing when I read this text, and I don't know about you, but I've been here, they were praying fervently, but I don't even know if they were really expecting an answer. Because by the time Rhoda goes out and sees Peter, and like, no way. And she goes back in. She don't even unlock the gate and let homie in yet. I mean, she gets so fired up that she's seen him. She, she, she's like... Y'all are not going to believe it. Peter's out here in the street. And they're like, whatever. You saw his angel. Saw his angel? And, and I have that issue at times. I start praying for someone and really asking the Lord to bring about deliverance and salvation. And all of a sudden they're like, you're not going to believe so-and-so got saved. And I'm like, nah. And the Lord's like, didn't you pray and seek me on that one? Yeah, but nah. You ever struggle with that? Where, where you see like an impossible situation like Peter chained, locked up, you look at it and you're going, that's impossible. Like I'll throw one up, man, just to save face with y'all. Hey, brother, can you pray for my daughter? She's like, strung out. Yeah, I saw her, man. She's jacked up. Lord, I just pray. In the, and God goes, seriously? That's all you got for me? You don't believe that I can break the chains in her life? Should I remind you of who set you free? Yeah. 
I love this chapter right here. Guys, I struggled through it this week, just praying through it because of the peaks and the valleys and just the deliverance, but yet the death. And I'm just being straight up with you, like reading books from Philip Yancey, like Disappointment with God, Where is God with it hurt, When it hurts, uh, his book that he wrote after the Sandy Hook killings up there, The Question That Never Goes Away. This brother struggles very well in his writings of, God, what's going on? What's going on? God is all-powerful. He doesn't always prevent his servants from suffering tragedy. God, God is all-powerful and can deliver us from situations that appear to be humanly impossible. When God set these cats free, that was a piece of cake for God. And I think oftentimes we reduce God down to manageable terms, Mary, and we try to see God the way we see who we think is the most powerful person in our lives, and we go, ah, I don't know if he can do that one. Matthew 19, 26, with God all things are possible. Let's move toward the landing here for you. Pray that you would struggle through this and realize that God really is for you. He's not against you. But there's going to be people around you that you really love and care about that are going to die at a young age. I had a guy dive back in with us today, and he's really struggled with where is God in the midst of his pain after a, a young, young child died. And he said, brother, I wept today because God knew I needed to hear how sovereign and good and powerful he is. Lady sitting here bearing her 22, 23-year-old daughter a few years ago. I'm struggling through this. If you're like me, you're struggling through it. Go down and hang out with mama yesterday. I love hanging out with my mama. But next door to where my mama and dad, their home is, is a nursing home, a assisted living, and one of my mom's best friends, dearest friends, a lady who has had great impact on my life, is in the final stages. And I'm like, I think they'll let me in. I just want to go pray for her. I mean, she don't even have to respond. I just love that woman. I just want to lift her up. Do I believe that God's going to spare her? Do I believe God's going to take her? She's going to be free at last, free at last, no matter what happens. But I'm struggling through that, going... That woman has walked with you. She has served you. And when I think about the manifestation of the Holy Spirit being in a person's life, I told her daughter this. I'm like, that woman has always, and ever since I remember her, she's manifested love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. And I'm like, but the godly suffer. The godly hurt at times. Here's the land. God can remove the most powerful and proud leaders if he desires. I don't care who it is. God can remove that noise if he wants to. I don't care if we're talking U.S., if we're talking Russia, Ukraine, China, whatever. The God that I serve and bow to does not hang in the White House. He sits on the throne. My God can remove whatever. The problem when you read this text, and hear me on this one, the problem when you, when you read this text 
is the non-believers feared Herod more than they feared God. And if we're not careful, we start to empower certain voices at times, thinking they're going to determine how much money I have at the end of the year. They're going to determine whether I have anything to eat. They're going to determine the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. I don't care what guy occupies that oval office. He's not God. And we need to press in to the Lord. Herod should have recognized and realized that God's hand was all on this situation. Peter and John's track record was jailhouse breaks happen all the time with us, dude, and we just chilling. <laughs> Herod should have recognized this, but his pride got in the way. He encouraged the applause and praise of the people. And when you read it, God struck this dude with worms, this nasty intestinal disease that annihilated him in about five days. And he died. What happened? God removed that proud man. God called his servant James home, but God removed that man. And when we seek glory for ourselves and we become addicted to the approval of man, if we're not careful, we could start living in opposition with God. When we have this digmy hero complex and we love the attention, God's not going to share his glory with anyone else. I mean, reality is the Lord will humble us and beware of pride. I wrote this observation that Herod's glory was short-lived and his misery is eternal. I would rather have short-lived misery while I'm here and have eternal glory with the Lord. And I think sometimes we get them backwards. We carry on our lives oftentimes as if this is home. This is my home. And the worst thing that can happen to a person is to die without Jesus. And the best thing that can happen to a person is to die with Jesus. So the worst thing that can possibly happen to a person will never happen to me because I am with Jesus. Jesus is in me because the Lord set me free. <laughs> Come on. It, this is a turning point here if you study the book of Acts. The word of the Lord continued to grow and it was multiplied. And it sets the stage for the remainder of the book of Acts. The gospel has now spread to the Gentiles. And that's going to make up the remainder of the book of Acts. When we dive into it next week, Acts 13, Antioch has become the epicenter of the gospel movement. And they're about to send Peter, or should I say Paul and Barnabas out on the first missionary journey. And it's about to be on. The gospel is going to Gentiles. Guess what I am? I am a mutt, a dog with no pedigree. And the gospel has gone to us Gentiles. 
the gospel is going to us Gentiles. Is it still possible that people that really love Jesus may become martyrs and suffer violent deaths? It's happening every day. Is there a greater possibility that the gospel is going to continue to grow and be multiplied? The gospel cannot be stopped. As we look around us, we can oftentimes conclude that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. I got good news for you. It's not. God is sovereign. Lean in, press in, but I will tell you again, please do not compare your suffering with your neighbor. Comparison is the death of contentment. Make sure you're pressing into the Lord because God is wanting to do a 29 story through you that's never been written.